Radio Drone. You know what? I'm not in a good mood tonight. Brad's here. Alex is here. Let's just get the Adam and Eve just all tonight. out of the way. <laughs> no, usually I'm in a good mood, even if I'm bitching about stuff. Oh, those must have been all the episodes I wasn't on then. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> so go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME to get three free DVDs, free shipping in the United States, a free mystery gift, and 50% off of a single item. adamandeve.com, promo code DROME. Now, Jones, tonight was your stupid idea, technically Dave's, so you're taking point. I, I'm taking the blame for this? You're taking the blame and you're taking point on this. Explain what why tonight's stupid idea is yours. Okay, I, I totally I, supported him and we ganged yeah, up Alex, on you for this, Josh. We did. Alex had my back. So Dave comes up with the idea the other day, because I don't know how many people out there know this or look at the comments or certain Twitter pages, but... Let's just say there's an alternate universe, Josh Hadley. And this <laughs> and this alternate universe, Josh Hadley, seems to really like chicken fingers, especially with honey mustard, brewskis, which I, I guess someone still has to use that word. And he seems to be very, very fond of, a, of many TV shows that some consider not great, namely being Sullivan and Son, Wedding Band, and Funheads just to name a few. So Dave says to me a couple weeks ago, he says, he goes, you really need to get Josh to do an episode where he actually talks about Sullivan and Son, Bunheads, and Wedding Band. And now keep in mind, before fake Josh became sort of obsessed with these, we had to explain to real Josh what these shows were. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, never, I've never seen a preview for any of them. When you guys ganged up on me for this, that was the first time I'd ever actually acknowledged that these things existed. Because Alex and I are the ones that follow Fake Josh on Twitter. Fake Josh on Twitter never shuts up about how great these shows are. Traitorous bastards. <laughs> he seems to really like these shows, so it's like, uh, okay, well, I mean, I disagree with real Josh on a lot of shows and movies. Maybe, like, Fake Josh knows where it's at. Although I've seen many previews for a lot of the things he's talking about, and no, so we said, so Alex and I, yeah, more or less ganged up on Josh. We're like, Josh, it's okay. We've got to watch them too. We won't watch the entire series run. We'll just watch the pilots, just the pilots. That's three shows. Bam, done. Watching the pilots, and then we talk about it, and it'll, it'll be hilarious. And I'll totally take the blame for this episode because. While I had to watch these shows too, it was really hilarious for me knowing that you were also watching them because it's it's so funny for me. I don't know. It's sort of like when I send one of my friends to a really crappy kids movie. It's really funny. Just picture. You're a sadist. That that's what it is. You're a sadist, Jones. Pretty much. It is. It's it's funny picturing. Josh Hadley, of all people, sitting there watching Sullivan and Son. <laughs> watching parts of these shows and going, oh, I know Josh is going to hate that. Yeah. And you know what, Jowski? You're an enabler. Uh, so I am. I enabled this episode. <laughs> so yeah, we watched the pilots for all three Bunheads, the wedding band, which Brad lied to me about. He told me it was a half-hour sitcom and the fucking thing's an hour-long drama. Dude, I thought it was. I said that, that wasn't a lie. I seriously thought it was. Like... I'd never really seen the show before. I'd only seen, like, previews for it. And TBS is, like, 
now the home for the world's shittiest sitcoms. So I thought, like, okay, this must just be another one of their terrible sitcoms. I, I didn't know it was like an hour-long dramedy. Yeah, they advertise it as being sitcom. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to fight you a little bit on TBS being the home for the worst. Have you seen the trailers for NBC's new fall lineup of sitcoms? You know what? Like, TBS is the home of the Tyler Perry sitcoms. So no matter what no matter what NBC throws out, uh, it's probably not Meet the Browns bad. I've never even heard of that one either. Uh, well, that, we'll talk it's about that. It's a sitcom from Tyler Perry. I mean, that's, I got that's all you that need from, to know. I got that from the context of Brad's <laughs> statement. Thank you. But I mean, that pretty much covers everything there is to possibly know about that show. So, all right, let's start. The first one, I don't know what order you guys watched them, but what happened was Brad acquired the pilots and sent mm-hmm. them to Alex and I. I. I believe we watched them all in a different order, but the order I watched them was Sullivan and Sons, Wedding Band, Bunheads. That was okay. the same exact order I did. I watched them Wedding Band, Bunhead, Sullivan, and Son. You saved the worst for last. That yeah, was the plan. You really... I No, I wanted to get the worst over with first. Wedding Band is... Of, of the three, Wedding Band is actually the only, was the only one where I hadn't seen... Other than promos, I hadn't seen anything... Like, sat down and watched a single part of an episode... Sullivan and Son I had, Bunheads I had, just in, Sullivan and Son just flipping channels and being like, what the hell is, is that the dad from Wonder Years? Bunheads because I was at, like, Jared's place one day and his girlfriend at the time was watching it. Let's just start with Sullivan and Son since Brad and I watched that first. It's a traditional sitcom, and in the traditional sitcom model, it's not the least bit funny. No, it wasn't. It was a very, very paint-by-numbers, cookie-cutter, prototypical sitcom that seems like it was created from a pile of rejected sitcoms from the early 90s. This thing, I can I cannot imagine that this thing actually would have made it to air in the early 90s, even in the 1980s. And you know, like I, I know that the, I know that we tend to only remember like a lot of the classic ones, but yeah, there's always been going back to my mother the car there's always been terrible sitcoms sullivan and son was just there was nothing there was nothing fresh there was nothing new there was nothing original about anything everyone was just a prototype of whatever archetype of sitcom characters that they would be playing that it was, was it there was oh yeah you had the wacky neighbor you had you had the the the, the wacky best friend you had the overbearing mom you had the too liberal dad you had the kind racist with the that that's really a good good guy you've got the girlfriend that doesn't understand you've got the unrequited love and it, it was just and, and it was by only, numbers yeah and it was only like that because they needed they just needed that kind of character to be in there never mind giving them an actual personality never mind actually making it feel genuine there just needs to be somebody there who's saying something racist but oh he has a heart of gold cue the laugh track it was cheers with a korean cheers is great though like they're they're both in a bar of course and in cheer okay in many shows you have you have uh, you can have a, a, a sitcom stereotype type of character you know like okay sam malone he runs the bar he's a womanizer he chases tail all over boston but Sam Malone was an actual three-dimensional character. Oh, ex- I believe, especially I in those be- early seasons before Cheers yeah. got kind of 
cartoonish in the Rebecca years. Yeah, see, yeah, Sam Malone was always, I believed he was that kind of person. I believed he was doing those things. When something came out of his mouth, even if it cued a response from the laugh track, I believed that was something that he would be saying. Fraser Crane, three-dimensional character. Diane, Cliff, Norm. They're all fitting different personalities of a sitcom, but they're very well-written characters. You actually believe that these people exist, that these people would hang out together, that these people actually could be real in this universe. Especially Coach in the early seasons. Absolutely Coach, definitely. And even and, and you know even even Woody, who's playing like, you know, the the kind of sitcom dumb guy. He was still genuine. Yeah, he but he's ge- he suffered from Homer Simpson syndrome where they just made him dumber and dumber as the seasons they, progressed. They did. They 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 did. And 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 many shows do that, you know. As they go on, they tend to fit more of the kind of stereotype that they were when they first appeared. But he was still always genuine. The performance was always there. He was still a, a very three-dimensional character. He still had his ups and he still had his downs. He wasn't Sullivan and Son, here's my Korean mother who's still speaking broken English even though she's been here for like 40 years and is a tiger mom. And see, there was one aspect of Sullivan and Sons I thought had potential the thing with his, I can't remember if it was an older or younger sister, where everyone ignored her and they all loved him even when he said the same things and she just got insanely mad. It wasn't funny in the pilot, but there was potential for humor in that, wasn't there? If they actually let her be a character instead of just, no matter what he says, she's going to go batshit insane and scream at him, then maybe. I, for, for those who haven't seen it, the, the show is... A lawyer from New York goes back home to Pittsburgh. Uh, his dad is an Irish guy who runs a bar. His mom is is Korean, and they, they run this family bar. Dad wants to sell the bar. His son wants th- them to keep the bar in the family, so the son buys the bar. Bam, there's your plot. Oh, and he loses his snooty New York girlfriend. I hated, yeah. the, I hated the fact that he had this snooty New York girlfriend, and then suddenly, like, on a whim, is like, I'm buying this bar later, girlfriend. That's like almost a fiance. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was just she had a really hard time finding a Starbucks in that big city. Yeah, that's <laughs> why I didn't even know it was Pittsburgh. Mostly because of the line she has about Starbucks and oh, all I could find was this gas station coffee. There's no Starbucks in this backwards podunk town. And <laughs> there was there was one thing, and Brad and I disagreed on this one part. Brad told me because he watched it a day before I did. That there yeah. was one joke he thought was kind of harsh for this type of sitcom, and he asked me to identify it. After I watched it, I found one that I thought fit that, and we each found a different one of those. Yeah, I, I found thought, the same one Josh did, though. I, I thought it was the one where the, uh, the the wacky best friend character said, I can't go to prison, my uncle says I have a pretty mouth. And I thought, okay, pedophile rape joke, deliverance joke, that was a little eh, but that's not the one Brad found. No, no, the deliverance joke, like, when the deliverance joke popped up, I was like, eh, okay, it's a deliverance joke. I've heard these for, like, 40 years. You know, I, crap, I've heard, I saw deliverance jokes in Rocco's Modern Life, you know, like that. (laughs) Um, so that that one didn't throw me off. And that that's what was weird about this show is because most of it was just very, very just stereotypical s- sitcom trite. Nothing really fresh or original about the thing at all. Like it was it was all just canned laughter sitcom jokes in the sense that, OK, you had 
you have Christine Eversol Eversol playing the oh it's the old horny barmaid you know she's always there and drunk and wacky and hitting on people oh my god so yeah one part she's like i need a scotch on the rocks a martini and a jack and coke or as i call breakfast and, like, and then uh, he actually paused for laughs too yeah. that that offended me and then they I added really... some laughs in post i'm sure that in a nutshell is the kind of jokes that you really kind of get on this show which is on which is honestly sad because steve byrne who is the lead is is actually a pretty solid stand-up i, I think but, i think you mean i think you mean korean seth mcfarlane <laughs> he looks just like seth mcfarlane i can see that i can see that but there was there was one joke that threw me off it's like we were saying like every a few times there would be like a really really off-color joke that that was kind of weird in in in, in a show that's like that so there's one part. It's when the son and his mom are negotiating. They're negotiating a price to buy the bar. They're sitting at a table. He writes down his offer on a piece of paper, slides it over to her. She looks at it, and she's like, oh, this big insult. And, like, laugh track. <laughs> and then she's like, here's my counter offer. She writes it down, slides it over to him. He looks at it, looks over at his friend, and goes, ugh. Someone needs to call the authorities. I need to report an attempted rape. Uh, and I, I sat there like, what? What wh the hell? Was, was that a rape? Was that a rape joke? Like, <laughs> not that, not that I'm, not that I'm like, oh my god, rape joke. Uh, channel switch. No, like, like something like that. Like, okay, I would expect that to be, if I was watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, if I was watching a very edgy sitcom, you, you would expect like a. a pedophilia joke a, a joke like that you know some really raw humor but up until that point there really hadn't been something like that so to suddenly throw this rape joke curveball at you like i actually had to stop it and back it up and be like wow like well i guess i'll give it this i don't know if i've ever heard someone needs to report an attempted rape followed by laugh track before also while <laughs> negotiating with your mother <laughs> raped by your own mom are we in abalama are we in the ozarks now it didn't make me want to watch any more episodes <laughs> they're apparently in their second season i get the promos for it whenever i go see a movie at the midnight screenings and there's act the thing is is like we were talking about this before there's actors in it i'd like brian um, doyle murray brian doyle murray christine ebersall the girl and I like I what I've seen of this girl before I've I've liked paramedic chick that is like yeah. the unrequited love one yeah yeah because there's like oh she he's got a love interest but like oops she's got a boyfriend she was on the second season of uh, the Joe Schmo show which is very 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 funny show she was on the second season of that and she was she was really good on that too she wasn't really bad in this I mean she was fine. Uh, I mean, it was she a just stock... didn't stick out. Yeah, she just no, was kind of there. She was a stock, a stock sitcom love interest character, and most people in it just seemed kind of mean. They say to like, "Oh man, there's that girl you've had a crush on since high school. You should go over there and ask her out." And these are like his friends, you know, and like he walks over there and is like asking her out, but then she mentions having a boyfriend, and his friends are all over in the corner along with his dad cackling their ass off because he's just embarrassed himself. I think that was humor. A lot of the acting in it was really lazy. Like they're like, I'm just doing this pilot. There's no chance it's going to get picked up. So they were just giving it half an effort. Yeah, I can see that. 
we spent a, too way too much time on Sullivan and Sons because that was the, the worst of the three. Well, it's a son singular, not plural. Whatever. She get it right. Jeez. All right, so let's move on. The next one I watched was The Wedding Band. This one was just meh. To me, The Wedding Band, it had a decent cast. I really like Harold Perrineau. I thought he's a great actor, but he was totally wasted. Literally any actor could have played his part in this, and it wouldn't have made a lick of difference. To me, the most disappointing thing about The Wedding Band was it was trying to be mediocre. I got no feeling that this pilot was trying to be anything special other than we're filling out an hour. Um, I thought that, well, according to according to your Twitter page, you're best friends with the show's creator who had to call and console you when it got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> That's fake me. <laughs> I thought this, sh- I didn't really like it. And you're right. Harold Perrineau is wasted in this thing. Really, a lot of people are wasted in this thing. I thought that this one, unlike Sullivan and Son, I thought this one was trying. I And I, you know what? I, I don't think it was trying to rest on mediocre. I think it was really trying to be like, when I was watching it, I was sort of like, okay, so it's like wedding crashers crossed with the wedding singer with, uh, I don't know, a little bit of the wedding planner in there. But as when it was over, I was kind of like, you know, I think they're trying to be like the scrubs of wedding band shows, I guess. But you've also, just like Sullivan and Son, you've got the stock characters. You've got the lead singer who's a womanizer and is afraid of commitment. You've got the pussy-whipped father who's terrified of his wife but loves her anyway. You've got yeah. the, the, the pseudo-rebel brother who doesn't really want to do anything with his life. And then you've got the professional musician who wants to be part of this band because he sees something special. It's yeah. every cliche you can think of. You have Unlike... the drummer that was a Jack Black clone. Oh. God, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, if, if, if they took him out of the cloning machine two months early, yes. That, that was, <laughs> I am tired, I am sick, I am sick to death of the freaking Jack Black clones. Between that guy, Josh Gad, who the hell ever, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm so done with that shtick. That was really freaking annoying. But aside from that, I mean... Yeah, you're right. They're they're very they're, the womanizer, the professional musician, the pussy whip father. Yeah, there was that. But at least in this, it seems like the actors were trying. Oh, the um, actors I th- were trying. I think on a production level, they were striving for mediocrity. Mediocrity. Yeah, yeah, because there were some fights on a production level. Maybe like the fights. There were some fight scenes in this that are were horribly handled. I I really do think they were trying to make a a relatively smart show with this, but it, it just didn't really come across very well. I mean, I thought Brian Austin Green, I thought he fit the douchebag role fine. I thought he did fine for what was required of him. I thought Harold Perrineau was fine. The guy playing the pussy father, I thought in terms of acting, I thought they did fine. What really lost me with this with this one was more that things just seemed to keep happening really because the script really needed something to happen. And like, cliched things, no less. Hey, yeah. the, the, the guy who doesn't want commitment and is afraid of it, his ex-girlfriend is back in town and she's getting married and she wants him to, per- yeah, to perform I at the not, wedding. Oh, this I is like something not, out of a Sullivan and Sons episode. And the, yeah. the people planning the wedding usually represent their rival band. Oh, shenanigans. 
Yeah, like, I didn't believe any of that was actually happening. I believed it was just going on for plot convenience. Austin Green and that girl had no chemistry. I did not believe that she was actually legitimately feeling anything for him. I didn't believe that he was really feeling anything for her, except for maybe that, like, maybe the whole thing of, like, oh, you don't really think about this girl, but then when she's attached to someone else and she's going to get away, then you kind of are. But they don't really address that. It seems like they're trying to play it off like he kind of has feelings for her, but there's no chemistry there. There were other characters in it that were just really, 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 really hammy for no reason. The ultra-nervous wedding planner, who this is her first real solo gig. Yeah, yeah. Or her she, boss that is just that, that bitch. I liked, I liked bitch. her boss because that's the kind of chick I'm into. Jan, and that's Jan from The Office. And she, and, and, and she's, I've seen her in many other things where she's just fine, but she's hamming it up like, crazy in this no reason she does get to nail harold perrineau though and that was kind of cool that was that was kind of cool i like i did like that and other things too like he's the the pussy guy he lies to his wife and he goes in and and plays in the in the wedding band at that big wedding and then one of his wife's friends is in the crowd and sees him and stands up and takes his picture to send to his wife would anyone really care about that, like, I didn't even buy it. First of all, I didn't know who that was. I, I don't remember. Yeah, that was a character, to my knowledge, we had not seen up to this point. I think he was yeah. added just for that purpose. Like, I would, uh, who would, who would do that? What, like, what, what kind of bitch would do that? Or, like, in anyone, really? Like, why? Why, why did that happen? So, so he's, he's not doing anything wrong. He's just making money playing a gig at this wedding it's not like he's been caught at a whorehouse with some hooker's finger up his ass or something like that yeah, i don't get why the wife would have been mad with i left the kids at a sitter so i could do work to get paid well but then there's also the fact and now this is the one thing i will applaud them for i don't think once it was brought up that harold perrineau is black even when they were playing that country gig I actually mm. applaud them for not making him the wacky black character in an otherwise white show. I really, I don't think even once his race was brought up. And I did kind of think that was mature. Well, I could see, sure, sure, yeah, I can see that. I mean, yeah. um, and, and you're, and you are right about him. I mean, this is Harold Perrineau. This guy's from Oz to Lost. I mean, this guy's done solid freaking work. And really, this show is really beneath him. <laughs> This is the only episode I've seen, but the copy you sent me had those banners across the bottom. Next week, Megan Fox, Megan Fox, yeah. Megan Fox. The second episode got Megan fucking Fox? Well, that's because she's uh, in either engaged to or married to uh, Brian Austin Green. Ah, that's why. Okay, I did not know that. I was just yeah, surprised. Yeah. I'm like, Megan Fox is not a good actress, but she's a name actress. For a show like this, I was a little surprised that she was going to be in the second episode. And you know, it was just I. It was it was forgettable. I, I I that that one at least. I I do think they were trying to be clever. I do think that they were trying to be fun. I I I I don't I don't think it was really that. I don't think it was intended to be that lazy, like a Sullivan and Son or something like that. I do really think that they were trying, but it just. It just really missed the mark for me. I mean, some of it, was, I don't know, some of it was just trying to be a little too, 
it was just trying to be too clever for its own good about how like the rules of the wedding band, you know, make sure the one guy who's trying to get laid goes home happy. Make sure the fat girl in the cl- in the crowd catches the buffet. Oh yeah, the and then they're they're on screen rules Zombieland style too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It w- that's what it was reminding me of. It was totally reminding me of that. And and so I'm like, hey, okay, really? Is anyone really like this? Hey, come on. And the and the with the whole rival wedding band thing, like was the Def Leppard uh, Armageddon. Yeah. It. It was a Def Leppard cover band called Armageddon. It. I'm like, is this freak? Is this Anchorman all of a sudden? And yeah, they had and a, a tour bus. What kind of wedding bands have tour buses? <laughs> with their <laughs> logo best. spray painted on the side? There were there were a couple of times where I kind of went like, huh, like that. But I, for the life of me, I can't remember what they were. When it when it when it got around to like the whole hijinks with the with the breast implant getting popped, with the with the bride's breast implant getting popped, and then going to get the surgeon to fix it who who for is some the fiance's reason, dad who's the fiance's dad who then for some reason just punches brian austin green's character for no reason like a uh, assault they make a harness out of a guitar string for her boob which made no sense yeah that 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 started getting into real like unnecessarily wacky territory and just nothing for me it it's like I said earlier, nothing for me felt like any of this would ever really fucking happen, even in this universe. I'm not be- I'm not buying any of this. I don't I don't buy that that girl would have hired him to play the band at her wedding. Her ex her ex boyfriend who wrote love ballads for her, who they use for like their wedding song and then a song to have sex to her and her fiance like really like i'm not why would why would she even hire him in the first place and the show did get air supply stuck in my head for the next couple days yes since you watched this one before brad and i did you kept warning me you better like air supply to me the wedding band was just meh i didn't hate it like i did sullivan and sons but I'm just kind of, I would never watch another episode of this. No, I, I, I wouldn't, well, especially since it's been canceled. <laughs> I mean, maybe it helps the fact that I watched Sullivan and Son first and got the worst out of the way first. <laughs> like I said, I did too. Uh, yeah, it was, just, it, was, it was just like, okay, that was a thing I watched. I'm not mad at it. I'm not, I, it was, okay, it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be, but it still was, was not very good. <laughs> Well, then let's move on to Bunheads. This one... (laughs) Here's here's the thing about Bunheads. The content, to me, was elevated by the level of acting. The three main adult actors really elevated this above what the material deserved, didn't it? You're talking uh, Sutton Foster, Alan Ruck, and uh, the mom? Yeah. Yeah. They all gave performances like they were really... I mean, they really were above the rather trite material that they were given. Yeah, they and were then good. They, yeah, and then they, they kill off the best character in the show. Yeah, but he also did was arguably responsible for killing Captain Kirk as the pussy captain of the Enterprise B, so I'll never forgive Alan Ruck for that. Oh, <laughs> he deserves it, huh? <laughs> yeah. He should Alan be killed Ruck. in everything now to, to make amends. That's Cameron, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Respect. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I thought uh, 
what was her name? Sutton something? Sutton, Sutton Foster. Sutton Foster. She was really good in this. She was really good. Really good. She was really likable. She's a really good dancer. She's charismatic. Her, she and Alan Ruck and the lady who played the mom were very genuine, which is really saying something for 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 an, a show created by uh, ABC Family. No, the, the, the Gilmore the, Girls a, chick, but Amy, I can't remember her name. Amy Amy Sh- Sherman is She's that got it? like three names? I think. Well, the mom on this is the same mom from Gilmore Girls, I believe. And and the one thing that struck me as kind of odd before we go into the plot of this one, remember that that point where where Sutton Foster is teaching those those girls, you know, and, and the little fat girl with no confidence, how mm-hmm. you know how to really dance and have confidence. They played a pretty energetic and interesting cover of the Beatles, "Ain't She Sweet." Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, kind of taken back. Like this is not a bad cover at all. They're using. That was that was yeah that that wasn't too bad and that was and that was a and that was a fine scene. There Although were other things. I have thi- to wonder why that song was queued up on the CD player at a ballet company. Convenience. Well, she was flip, She was flipping through all of those CDs. Yeah, so it, wasn't she was like throwing a bunch one. of them like this? Like, uh, ah. No, no, no. <laughs> Bunheads is something that you know I can I can chalk that up to you know it's just not really my thing. If it is. You will probably like it if you like if you like the Gilmore Girls and you like Amy Sherman's writing style. You would probably get a kick out of it. I don't really like Amy Sherman's writing style that much, and I really thought that I did really think that Alan Ruck and Sutton Foster really did well, really elevated that material. Especially, Most other, especially Alan Ruck, because his character is kind of a pathetic loser who's infatuated with a showgirl in Vegas while he lives in California in a sleepy town with his creepy mother and he's willing to marry her to take care of her so he can have someone to take care of. He's kind of Norman Bates, but he made him likable, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He completely did. He totally made that character likable, like almost to the point to this in the sense where I was like, why does he even live with his mom? This this guy seems like a really well put together, seemingly wealthy dude. Why why is he living? Why is he still living with his very abrasive, unlikable mother? And that's that's kind of a thing I, I had about this show, too, was like as well as as good as the mom's performance was. That was a very unlikable character. Oh, her character was terrible. Yeah, her performance good, character was awful. Oh her my character god. character was not as bad as I thought it would be. I was expecting her to be horrid, horrid bitch through the whole thing, but she kind of warms up, you know, towards the end. Kind of, but like before then, it was like, wow, I've never wanted to punch an elderly ballerina so much in my life. <laughs> <laughs> should should, should and, we go into the plot, though? Well, the plot is that, I mean, you describe that, you know, Sutton Foster, she's a Vegas showgirl. She she gets drunk and she marries Alan Ruck and goes back home with him, which is was kind of interesting in that, like, when she sobers up, she still stays. <laughs> like, OK, all right. So anyway, they're in this small town that has like nothing in it. The, the um, nearest but, movie theater is like 100 miles away. Yeah, but they they've got like a, a ballet studio and a, a bunch of other things, a bunch of other shops that look like you'd find them in Long Beach, California. Oh, they um, got this like beautiful beach with people at the beach all the time surfing. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, but... I, I noticed that too. There were a couple of surfers walking down the street, and I was like, so it's a surfing town too? Yeah, well, the name of it's Paradise. And, and I used... saw, I went and looked up the cast list. John Polito becomes a semi-regular as a pizza shop owner regular. Really? John Polito, Crescetti from Homicide. I'm like, another great actor that's above this kind of material, man. Amy Sherman's writing style and even how she has a lot of the actors deliver their lines, nothing about it for them. Like, I thought Alan Ruck was genuine. I can say the same thing for most of Sutton Foster's scenes. Other parts, though, it's I'm not believing any of this is actually being said. It it's so it's delivered so fast and almost too, almost too trying to be too clever for its own good. It's not that it's I think there's a different I don't know what to call this kind of dialogue because it's not rapid that it's fire rapid. Yeah, but I mean, I've seen rapid fire dialogue be fine. David e. Kelly. It's, it, it's yeah, it, but it's just in this it's. I'm never believing anyone is actually saying this. It all seems just so scripted, so rehearsed, so every character knows what the other person is going to say, and then they immediately react off of that, knowing that they already have a line in their head that's going to be another trying-to-be-very-clever line of dialogue, but because of that, feels like it's something that no person like this would ever actually say to another person doofy teenage girls are talking about mortgage crises at one point and then it, it opens up with Sutton Foster and another showgirl during a show having really rapid fire banter between themselves while they're on stage during a live show like time and fucking place screenwriter seriously <laughs> well, that I don't I there was one I'm not saying inappropriate in like, whoa, whoa, inappropriate, but like one of the teenage girls that there was an ongoing plot that her boobs are getting too big. And uh -huh. I'm going, I don't know if the actress is over 18, but I'm like, you realize the character's like 14. Are we really supposed to be having a whole plot line thinking about this 14 year old girl's boobs? Oh, that the kids <laughs> that's just drinking. weirdly inappropriate. The kids drinking beer that they're all like these young teenagers and they ask adults for beers, and it's fine. Nobody cares that these kids are underage drinking. Oh, Sutton Foster comes in and takes it away from them. And all she says is, oh, this beer's really bad. But I mean, I thought that was, you know what? I didn't have a problem with that, because that at least seemed relatively human. That seemed very human for someone to come in and be, like, the responsible adult, but also being cool, because they understand that teenagers are going to do that. When, when are this you really when the those... responsible adult? Are you really the well, responsible the, adult when you get married while drunk? Well, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, well, no, they were at a wedding party at an adult's house, you know, and it's not like a huge wild teen drinking party. And the teens are like, yeah. let's go get beer. Teens are going to drink, you know, teens are going to sit, sit around and drink. So when, the, when it showed the teenagers actually sitting there and like kind of drinking and doing something, it was actually the first time in the show I actually felt like they were actual teenagers. I'm not saying teenagers need to be going out and drinking and shit. <laughs> But I'm it just, felt just, real. Yeah, yeah it felt yeah. real. Um, it felt it felt real. It, when that happened, that actually felt real. I mean, some of the banter they had back and forth really kind of didn't. Because, like, whenever someone was a real bitch in this show or a real bastard, they were really loud and abrasive and kind of cruel. The, the like, owner of that uh, clothing shop 
Yeah, what was that? I didn't like, know if that woman was being bitchy or sincere or nice or whatever. Well, and then right. you got the one character that doesn't fit into any of this. Alan Ruck's ex-girlfriend that still loves him and is jealous of Sutter. Uh, yeah, uh, that's Sutton the one Foster. I was talking about. She was like something out yeah. of a goddamn sitcom. She was like something I would have. She was all jittery fit. and and nervous and talk and even faster talking than the rest of them. It was she was. She's a little crazy. That's why we need to hide the scissors. Yeah, and it was just she was totally out of place in this. The rest of the world that they were trying to establish here. I totally agree with that. That felt like more so something I would have seen in like Wedding Band. Like yeah. like that that like that seemed really more appropriate for a show. That yeah, like what hell? Even Sullivan and Son. <laughs> oh, I uh, agreed. But yeah, Bunheads. I'll, I'll admit it. Well, like you said, this the show. I didn't like it. In all seriousness, if this is the kind of audience, I I could see this honestly. Like on on the Lifetime Network, if you like Lifetime original movies, you'd probably like this show. I can see where its audience is, but I'm not it. Well, Martha and Lily watched the whole first season as it aired. They loved the show, but they're also girls, and they like ballet. Did you tell them that you were watching the pilot? Yeah, and Martha told me, you better not hate it. And I'm like, you better not tell me what to like. You better watch the rest of the season. (laughs) (laughs) I looked up a synopsis on Wikipedia. (laughs) Were you guys surprised when they killed Rockoff? Kinda. Yeah, kind of, and, like, rather disappointing. I'm like, oh, they killed off the, the nice, likable character. Yeah, I was really a kind of a, even though I wasn't planning on watching any more episodes, let's say I was. One, Alan Ruck was the most genuine one in that show. And also, if there was anything that would have kept my interest in that story, it would have been to see where their relationship would have gone. Where the relationship between this guy who really loves this girl and this girl who doesn't quite, but might, you know, I would have liked, because I thought they had pretty good chemistry. I honestly, it would have, if I was to watch more episodes of that, that's what, that's what I would have been paying the most attention to. That, is, that, and the fact that the first time he's ever stood up to his mom was about, yeah. her, was about her. So the mom kind of saw a different side of him, too. And then they just kill him in a car accident. Thank you. Yeah, they kill him off screen in a car accident. Really? This is now the second show this week I've watched where it kills off its best character. What was the other one? In in the first episode. What was the other uh, one? Are you guys at all planning on watching Under the Dome? At some point, maybe, but not at the moment. I, I, I only found out recently they made a show of that, and I'm like, oh... Oh, I will catch it at some point. I watched the pilot. I, I'll, I'll probably continue to watch it because, like, while, like, it's an ensemble show and there's a few pretty good characters in it and a lot of stupid ones, I kind of want to see where Under the Dome goes. I really kind of want to know where this freaking dome came from. And the part where the dome crashes down was a pretty good scene. I'll give it, it that. But it, the it best. Is... Well, isn't this based Not off sure. a Stephen King book? Yeah, it is. It's 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 yeah. It's based off of a Stephen King. Yeah, novel. I was gonna well, say. If you really want to know, you could just read the source material. Yeah, because nah. the, because the TV adaptations of King's work are always so faithful to fucking source material. <laughs> yeah. 
no, like it, it, I mean, it had some interesting stuff in it. It had some stupid stuff in it. Like, uh, of course there's like a really abusive, psychotic boyfriend in it who wears a tight leather jacket and carries around like a butterfly knife with him. Cause that's, that's a, because a lot of, cause this is the night that's, cause this is the 1950s now, Brad. No, it's, it's present, but it's Stephen King. So of course it's got, a, a kind of greaser guy in it. Okay, if it's Stephen King, then I'm gonna guess one of the characters is a frustrated writer. Uh, n- there's a frustrated because he has one of those in damn near everything. There's a frustrated reporter. That's right. same thing. Close He's still enough. A writer. He still writes. Is this yeah. in New England? Probably. <laughs> uh, it, it looks like a small New England town. I, I I can't remember exactly. I mean, it's not. It's it's not bad. I, I I do I I'll at least give it another couple episodes at least to see to see where it goes. As soon as you guys start watching it, you'll know exactly what character I'm talking about. Well, and see, but here, here's my problem. Let Let's seg into another part of 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 this topic. Why do you think when like something like Under the Dome? Do you think that that is a product of now that that's on TV, or do you think that could not have gotten on five years ago. Um, well, the, oh, I, the book I think was only just a few years. You ago. know what I, I'm talking I about? The style of the show, smartass. No, I, I, ab- I absolutely think that show could have gotten on the air five years ago. Absolutely, because now there's more, and this, there's a lot of things about television now that I loathe, detest, just hate, and it's mostly reality TV. But there's other things about TV nowadays that I think is great. And part of that is are, are shows like, uh, let's say, okay, let's say Lost, Mad Men, uh, Sopranos, Deadwood, Breaking Bad, stuff like that. I like shows that are a continuing storyline that are very high. Yes. You just said are cable shows, though, too. Yeah, those exactly. are the shows I like, too. I like the hour-long episodic dramas. Even like Deep Space Star Trek, Deep Space Nine is considered the you know redheaded stepchild of Star Trek. Real Star Trek fans don't like it. It was too dark. It was serialized. You had to remember what happened in you know the last five episodes. It wasn't fun. It's also That's... the best thing Star Trek's ever done. And I'm I'm done with procedurals. I'm done with the type of show that. Is just the same thing episode by episode. Oh, we found CSI this. CSI knockoff number nine hundred and forty. Yeah, I'm done with that. I'm so done with that. I I have been for years. I don't need shows like that anymore. I don't need medical dramas anymore. I'm done. But what I love are the shows like the ones that I mentioned that are a, they're a continuing storyline. They're a high concept story. It's an overarching series of events that are going on that you've got to pay attention to and you've got to keep watching i and that's i think that's one reason why twin peaks was so unique when it first came out people really weren't used to that kind of thing back then and i i love that kind of show but you know what even procedurals or what could by today's standards be considered a procedural even a lot of those that i really liked 20 some years ago let's say nypd blue miami vice hill street those shows were always character first, procedural second. And they continuity were, heavy. You, the, and the, very, those shows they, had season-long arcs with characters usually, too. They did, and it's a huge problem I have with procedurals now, is that every single one of them 
procedural first, and there's a couple cops who did some movies 20 years ago. But, what I like but, about the um, the same continuous dramas, the shows you mentioned and others, is I love a good, good cliffhanger. You yeah. know, and I love to be continued. I love it ending on a plot twist and you spend the next week or the whole season wondering, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. I love that. And that shows mm-hmm. that do that are good. But there are issues that people don't like continuity. Look at like what happened to Farscape. Cascading Thunder cunt Bonnie Hammer canceled Farscape because people don't want to to have to come home after a hard day of laying brick or digging ditches or working at a bar and have to remember what happened for the previous seven episodes to follow it. They just want to see guys shooting aliens for an hour. And like, like a, they tried to air this absolutely brilliant Canadian-South African series called Charlie Jade that yeah. is so continuity-heavy. By about the fifth episode, the previously on is almost nine minutes of what you have to remember just to follow the story. They called it a novel for television. I loved it. This is one of my all-time favorite TV shows ever. Sci-Fi stopped airing it after the seventh episode. No one in America was watching Charlie Jade on Sci-Fi because nobody wanted to remember. I have to remember, you know, every single thing in Charlie Jade, every throwaway line of dialogue, is potentially a plot point down the line, the way this is written. And it is brilliant. Well, nowadays with social media and you, like, follow a TV show on Facebook and Twitter, they keep you motivated and keep reminding you of what's going on in the series. So it's easier for people to remember nowadays. And I I honestly, I fast-forward the uh, previously on parts. I do, because I don't... One, I, 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 I remember the show I'm watching anyway. And also... A lot of times, for me, they'll contain, like, spoilers. About what's coming up, yeah. About what's coming up. I'm like, okay, they're referencing this very specific plot point from, like, three episodes ago. That's kind of spoiling it for me that that's going to get somehow get addressed again or that that character might come back again. So I I fast-forward the previously on segments. And I don't watch watch promos for next – Next week on, I don't watch. Oh, those I promos never watch either. those promos. There's, there's one exception when no, the episodes are uncut on DVD. But like when Farscape aired on Sci-Fi, the show was produced in Australia. Australia has more screen time and less commercials per hour, so they had yeah. to cut about three to four minutes out of every episode for its Sci-Fi Channel airing. Half mm-hmm. of the damn episodes, the previously on would be scenes we didn't get in America. Oh wow! So the previously on was like, wait a minute. That never happened. Son of a yeah. bitch. <laughs> so you had to watch the previously on, on Farscape when you were watching it first run because you actually didn't know that from before. Bastards. <laughs> but like the reason I asked Brad, like if you thought Under the Dome could be put on the air today, sometimes I've, you know, I've seen numerous unaired pilots. I've written articles in magazines about all the pilots the general audience has not seen. There are ones like, one of my favorite unaired pilots was called Day One. It was by Michael Piller. It was this just brilliant fantasy, sci-fi, end of the world, post-apocalyptic, really original ass idea. Yeah. It was made the season before Lost came out. Uh. When you see the pilot now, you go, if this came out the season after Lost was a hit, this would have been picked up in an instant. Just bad yeah. timing when the pilot was made. That's all. Yeah, because they picked up a lot of very 
lost centric shows after that first season. Like they picked up Surface, they picked up Invasion. Surface sucked. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, like every network was picking up these hour long episodic dramas at that time. The they were only, all like the lost. Only one of those, the only one of those that was good. I loved the hell out of Threshold. Threshold, I didn't see. It's the it's the one with Peter Dinklage, Carla Gugino, and uh, Brent Spiner. That okay. one was fucking good. Peter yeah. Dinklage and Brent Spiner. Oh, I should watch that. And Carla Gugino and Charles Dutton, and it was really, really good. Lasted ten you, episodes. You still see stuff like that now. There are shows that there are post Mad Men shows that they've come out with that also take place like in 1960. There's all the that. Sopranos after that. Remember all the Sopranos knockoffs? Yeah, and um, that one, uh, what is it? It's it's a Game of Thrones knockoff, uh, Vikings. But, you, you know, you, you always do get those knockoffs. Like, good God, Brad, remember in the 90s after Friends was a hit? <laughs> Buddies. Um, all those Friends knock. And Married with, Ch- Married with Children even had that Friends parody pilot. Brad, this was your stupid idea. Do you regret having come? Well, Dave's technically, but you're the one that pushed us into this, along with Enabler Alex. <laughs> do, do you feel bad that you've now sat through these, Brad? No. <laughs> no, because it was worth it to do a freaking episode on Sullivan and Son Bunheads and Wedding Band. What a, what it's, a... also, it's also going to be worth it for the inevitable tweet that says... Ah, uh, I don't know, like, ugh, I don't know what I was thinking on that episode. Too many brewskis don't listen to what I was saying. I was high on, on honey mustard and chicken fingers. <laughs> what about you, Alex? Are you are you enlightened or brought down that you've sat through these three pilots now? Especially hey. since, since your daughter and your ex-wife watched Bunheads anyway. I feel enlightened, so now I can get fake Josh's references. <laughs> <laughs> With the exception of Sullivan and Son, which I hated, yeah. the other two, I'm not mad that I saw. Not I didn't, really. I didn't like oh. them, but yeah. I'm not mad that I saw them and at least saw them. Now we got to get you to watch the Avengers. Screw off. Where can we Where can we find Brad puts his friends through Payne Jones? <laughs> uh, you can find me at thecinemasnob.com. Where can we find Alex the Enabler Jowski? At geekjuicemedia.com. You can find me at the same geekjuicemedia, 1201beyond.com, 1201beyond at gmail.com. You know the routine. And Brad, this was all your fault. (laughs) Dave's fault.
1201 Beyond Production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows. Owned and operated by legendary horror creator Hartie Fisher. American Horrors is the world's greatest uncut horror channel. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. American Horrors brings you nothing but the bloody best in uncut horror. Watch free. Worldwide, only at filmon.com. This July on American Horrors, catch new bleeding edge horror by Tony Natoli, Annette Martinez, Johnny Dickey, Patrick O'Bell, plus new episodes of Gut Munching Zombie Series 813, and the best damn horror movie review show, Fright Asylum. Watch American Horrors now on filmon.com. 